0: Wonderful to see you tonight. Thank you for coming out and uh, thank you for inviting my family to be with you and worship with you for the next few days. Uh, very grateful to drive out here. We, we like the drive. Maybe we don't make it as much as some do. Some people tell us, oh, you know how long of a drive it is. Uh, we always look forward to it. So uh, it's been a nice drive and a nice time. Uh, we look forward to several nights of good worship with you all and I hope to bring some Bible studies that will be helpful. If you don't know who I am, my name is Jonathan. Jonathan Edwards is my name. And that's my wife, Marissa, Gabriel, Evangeline, Penelope. There is not a pop quiz at the end of the night. And please don't have a reverse pop quiz where we have to remember all of your names. So that that would be one we would fail as well. Um, But we look forward to meeting many of you and uh, spending some time with you. Uh, I've been preaching the gospel since 2010. And we lived abroad for three years in Southeast Asia. So uh, for a time we lived in Cambodia, and then now we're back, and I work with the church in Dallas, Texas, Valley Parkway Church of Christ, in the little city of Louisville in the greater Dallas area. So that's where we are. And uh, I hope to bring some studies tonight that will be helpful for you and and, uh, really for even those who are going to be listening to these and can be here later in the weekend, they'll hopefully be building off of each other so that that one after the other, you'll just be pumped up by the end of the weekend and we'll feel closer to the word, closer to the Lord together. I want to talk tonight about doctrine and so I'm going to use this whiteboard as best I can. Um, I noticed from my seat that the red didn't show up as well. So I'm going to go and put that there and I'll just stick with the black marker. Let me see if I get the right one. Okay. And uh, we're going to talk about doctrine. I think that's a great way to start. Uh, That way it can overview everything that we study together in the Bible because, spoiler, the Bible has a whole lot of doctrine. And what I'd like to do tonight is introduce the idea of the study as well as the main idea. And if we can start out with the main idea of where we're going with this study, then as we go through point by point, hopefully it will make sense to you. We're going to do a New Testament Bible chain. If you're unfamiliar with that, it's where you just start at one scripture and you look at what it says about that idea or the subject that you're studying and then you move to the next scripture and you move to the next scripture. And you could link them together like a chain. And uh, my encouragement to you is if you take notes or if you like to write in the margins of your Bible is you could just write the little word doctrine and then you could write the next scripture and then you keep doing that, and as you flip and you write doctrine and then the next scripture, and you'll have this Bible chain with you everywhere you go. Uh, I think that doctrine is worthy of our study, probably because of that first question, which says, uh, what does that idea of doctrine, how does it make you feel? Now, for those who are members of the church, we may be ambivalent about the word doctrine, and maybe it might be a positive idea. Oh, doctrine. Okay, this is the things that we're supposed to follow and obey. It's just what we know, right? But I know for a fact there's a lot of people out there, when they hear the word doctrine, it is not positive, it's negative. Not only is it negative, it's almost almost blasphemous, right? Like it is a bad word because if you're if 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 doctrine is what you're talking about, then what are you being? indoctrinated and if you're ever accused of being indoctrinated it's not a compliment right usually it's an insult saying you can't think for yourself you've just been indoctrinated and as a result of being indoctrinated uh, then then you're incapable of, of having any sort of creative thought of your own and I want to challenge that with you tonight because the Bible talks a lot about doctrine And it talks about being indoctrinated, but it does it in a different way than our culture talks about it. So I want to challenge what our culture says about this idea. And so here's the main idea uh, that I want to present to you. Without doctrine, and I'm just going to put up an example, there is no grace. Did you know that? Now you could fill that in with any of the, the positive teachings that... All of the religious community around us prefers to doctrine. Without doctrine, there is no love. Without doctrine, there is no resurrection. Right? Do you get where I'm going? It's through doctrine that we become well acquainted with the good stuff. Why is that? Because of what doctrine actually means. There's three Greek words, and I could uh, tell them to you in my best Midwestern accent, but you're just going to have to trust me on what they actually say. And uh, they, into, the English all mean teaching. The teaching. To be taught. To uh, have been taught. Right? Or instruction would be another word. Instruction or teaching. And so we could say the importance of teaching. The importance of instruction The importance of doctrine because every time in the New Testament that that concept is being used with these three words it's talking about the exact same thing and how much softer is it whenever you 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 say oh uh, I went to church and I was taught this it sounds better than I was indoctrinated doesn't it and yet it's the same concept so what we're gonna do is we're gonna put together this New Testament chain And uh, this is not every single scripture in the New Testament that uses the word doctrine. It's just a summary of them. But we'll start out with the word doctrine in the Gospels. And next we'll look at doctrine in the history book, the book of Acts. And then finally we'll look at doctrine in the epistles, the letters. And uh, then I'll have a final thought on doctrine at the end. And so I would like for you to open up your Bible with me. I got a Pew Bible. So everybody, if you have a Pew Bible, you can follow along with me on the same page, page 1,500. And if you prefer to take notes or have your own Bible that you brought, or if you've got a phone, uh, I'm gonna be reading out of the New King James Version. And uh, you can, on your phone app, get the New King James Bible open. But I'd love for us to all turn there. And uh, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. Now, if you're taking notes, you could also write down chapter 22, verse 33. We won't read that one because they're both saying something very similar. And in this verse, we're going to look at the crowd's reaction to doctrine. So this is Matthew chapter 7, and uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. Listen to the Bible here it says, And so it was. When Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. What's the connection to doctrine? Oh, it's the same word. So we could also translate this as saying, and so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he indoctrinated them. Yeah, it's the same, the same thought. He indoctrinated them as having authority and not as the scribes. So all of those commands leading up to this verse, the ones where it says, uh, blessed are the peacemakers, uh, be the salt of the earth, uh, don't pray out loud and boisterously in the streets, but go into a quiet place. All of these teachings, right? These are the doctrines that Jesus taught. And when he was done indoctrinating the people, they were amazed because he taught with authority. Well, there's other places that this word is used. And let's look in Matthew, we'll stay in this book, at the very end, flip over to Matthew chapter 28. And this is after Jesus is resurrected and he is instructing or indoctrinating his apostles about the Great Commission. that They're to go into all the world. And doctrine is essential to the Great Commission. I'm on page 1541, if you want to flip over there. And it says in verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them or indoctrinating them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so here is this commission to his followers to indoctrinate the world. Again, I hope to rebrand that word. I will use it probably overkill tonight, the idea of being indoctrinated, because of how frequently it's been used in negative context. I want you to leave here using this word in a positive way. Okay, Mark chapter 12, verse 38. Flip over into the next gospel book, please. Mark chapter 12, verse 38. So page 1565 in the Pew Bible. And here, when Jesus uh, is teaching or using his doctrine, his doctrine is about rebuking things that are against his doctrine. So it wasn't only about positive, affirmative teachings, but if there were things that opposed his way, his doctrine was, that's false. Let's read it quickly. Mark 12, verse 38. Then he said to them in his teaching, that is his doctrine, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greeting in the marketplaces, the best seat in the synagogues, and the best place at feasts who devour Widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. So part of Jesus' doctrine was explaining to His followers what was right and what was wrong. Let's keep reading. Two more in the Gospels, please. John chapter 7 verse 14. If you want to flip over there, we'll skip the Gospel of Luke for right now, and we'll read together in John chapter 7. Verse 14 through 17, please. It's page 1642. The Bible says, Now in the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? And Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but he who sent me. And if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. So here it is actually translated for the first time. Previously, it's just been the word teaching. But now we're starting to see that even the translators who put this version together, see that the word doctrine is the best word for translating at this time. Jesus said this heavenly doctrine that comes down from above, you're gonna know it's mine based on the accompanying signs and based on the fact that it is from God and not just my word. And he gives all these evidences for how this doctrine is, in fact, heavenly. Final one, John chapter 18. Final one of the gospels, that is. Flip over there with me, just a few pages. John chapter 18, please. And here, it's the high priest who's interested in the doctrine. He wants to know about Jesus' doctrine. John chapter 18, verse 19 and 20. Please, it's page 1663. The Bible says, And the high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught, or indoctrinated, in synagogues and in the temple where Jews always meet, and in secret I've said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who've heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. Jesus never hid his doctrine." Jesus never shied away from indoctrinating. So we as his followers, as we prepare to leave this section on the gospel and the go- on what the gospel says about doctrine, we move into the doctrine of Acts and epistles. The question I have for you, and I'll try to ask it each time, I may forget, but I'll try to ask it each time, what is the doctrine? What is it? Now hopefully you've already answered that mentally, based on just these five scriptures here. And if you haven't yet, I'll answer it at the end. Again, I'll try. Maybe one of you can wave me down if I forget to. Uh, but let's go to the book of Acts, and, and we'll ask this question, what is the doctrine? And we'll consider what these three verses have to say. First, go over to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So in this Point of the Bible, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It's page 1676 in your pew Bible. Jesus has died. He's buried. He's resurrected. Now the apostles are preaching his doctrine, right? They're teaching about Jesus. And people are being baptized. And here's this first uh, mass conversion event where 3,000 people have been baptized. Well, what was the Great Commission? Besides baptism. It was teaching them, right? Indoctrinating them. Okay, well, let's look at... and Let's see what they, 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 it says here. I'm going to read verse 40 just to give it a little bit more flavor. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in... The apostles' doctrine and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Oh, okay. Notice there's a subtle shift. It does say apostles' doctrine. But if we understand that just to mean teaching and instruction, then it totally makes sense that they're going to be teaching or instructing or indoctrinating this new group who hadn't been walking with Jesus for the past three years. They have been indoctrinated. And now they're the ones doing the indoctrinating with the apostles' doctrine. Now, the next one, and we're going to read both of them. Sometimes I had it where we just read one, but we're going to read both because I'm just greedy, I guess. But we're going to read in chapter 13, verse 12. So go ahead and turn over there. Uh, But while you turn, I want to ask this question. Is doctrine only for believers? Acts 13, verse 12. Is doctrine only for believers? we may have this mindset that uh, sinners need the gospel and then Christians need the doctrine, right? Well, let's look at a couple of examples of how doctrine converts people. The Bible says in Acts 13, verse 12, Then the proconsul believed, when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He was astonished at the doctrine And the doctrine led him to Christ. Now, there is also a miracle of what's happening here, but it's the miracle and the doctrine are working hand in hand to lead him to the master. Let's look at Acts chapter 17. Flip over just a few more chapters, please. Acts chapter 17, and we'll read verse 19. Now, uh, in this context, Paul is in Athens, and he's. Gone into this place where there's all these uh, false idols and then there's a place where they've devoted it and there's not really a statue. It just says, to the unknown God, just in case we missed someone. And Paul, when he sees this, he can't help himself and he starts preaching or indoctrinating. And listen to what these people say who aren't believers yet. Verse 19. I can't help myself. We're going to read verse 18. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Interesting. Verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. So here are some people who are interested and they are calling the resurrection and the teachings of Jesus doctrine. And so he will take the opportunity to indoctrinate those who are willing to listen. Finally, in Acts chapter 20, verse 20, Paul shows that indoctrinating can happen in a public assembly but it can also happen from house to house. The Bible says in Acts chapter 20, verse 20, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you, that is indoctrinated you publicly and from house to house. So it's important then and now we use this scripture as evidence for why we have a public assembly, but also that Bible studies happen privately as well. And so in this public capacity, Right now, I'm the one that's instructing or teaching or indoctrinating. But then privately, parents with children, husbands and wives, friends who get together, whatever the, the group may be, this indoctrination happens privately as well. Here we go. We're in the final section. Uh, we're talking about doctrine, but this time in the epistles or in the letters. And I want to invite you to look at Romans chapter 6. And it's going to talk about how doctrine... Uh, is part of this salvation process, right? So I'm going to ask the question, what is the doctrine? We keep using this word. What is doctrine? Hopefully you're getting an answer from all the scriptures we've already mentioned so far. I'll answer it at the end. But look at Romans chapter 6, verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I could go on. This is really meaty. The idea of being set free, of being enslaved to sin, but now being set free, it goes hand in hand with obeying what? Doctrine. Obeying specific doctrine. Now, look at 16 verse 17. Just flip a few more chapters over. Romans chapter 16, 17. And here, uh, just like Jesus uh, warned, you know, part of His teaching was declaring that something was false. So He had doctrine, and if others weren't on board with His doctrine, then He would call them false. Paul's gonna say the same thing. There is the doctrine, and that if people bring something different, then it's what sometimes the Bible will call strange doctrine. It's different. It's something we shouldn't pursue. And so he'll say in chapter 16, verse 17, Now I urge you, brethren, those who cause, or note, those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. Okay, this is a big deal. Those that aren't willing to stay in the doctrine are to be avoided. Now, this isn't a study specifically on this scripture, but it is worth noting in what we're talking about that doctrine is serious enough that if people don't want to stay in that doctrine, then we're supposed to avoid them because of what they could potentially bring into the church. Look at First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. It's the next book, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. And as you turn there, uh, it's page 1766 in your pew Bible. This is an encouragement for those of you who teach publicly. So whether you preach or teach, however often you may do it, you have to remember, brethren, that your task publicly is to indoctrinate the church. And hopefully by this point in the sermon, it's a positive connotation that you are indoctrinating. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, "...how is it then, brethren... Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. And so, brothers, um, whether it's a Wednesday, whether it's a Sunday, or whenever, whatever your speaking appointment, I simply want to encourage those who teach that we take it seriously because we've been called to indoctrinate the group. Okay. Here we go. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 10. We're going to skip a few books. So hop over there with me to the book of 1 Timothy. And we're going to read chapter 1 verse 10 and chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. So let's start with 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10. Paul continues to warn against those who would bring a different doctrine. He says, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the blessed, or the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, there are certain actions that are contrary to sound doctrine, to sound teaching, and they are to be avoided. Flip to the next page, please. And it's chapter 4, verses 1. And We'll read 1 through 3. For now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times that some will depart from the faith, giving heed to the deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with the hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So here's a couple of warnings again in 1 Timothy 1 and 4 about strange doctrine a teaching that's different from what Jesus brought and what the apostles brought. However, we can look in this same chapter. We're going to read chapter 4, verse 6, and verse 13, where he contrasts that strange doctrine to what Timothy and all of us uh, should be following. That's sound doctrine. The Bible says in verse 6, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Look at verse 13. Until I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Hmm. So I like the contrast between these two uh, things we are to avoid and then the instructions of what we're supposed to follow. Really interesting what happens in the next chapter if you want to flip the page. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'd like to read verse 1. 1 Timothy 6, verse 1, it says, Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and His doctrine may not be blasphemed. Ooh. I've kind of gone fast through these points, so let me just slow down for a second. You can blaspheme doctrine? That's what the scriptures are saying here. Now, it's specifically about bondservants under the yoke of their masters worthy of honor, and we could dissect that a little bit more. But what we're talking about in this study is that there is a possibility, and Paul will actually, uh, in the scriptures, mention three different things that can be blasphemed. The name of God, the word of God, and the doctrine of God. So, brothers and sisters, I want to challenge and... Uh, encourage you, when it comes to the doctrine. How could we potentially blaspheme it? Now, to blaspheme uh, would be to be so unsacred or, or, or just uh, egregiously disrespectful of something, right? And so, in, in Matthew chapter twelve, you have the Pharisees who saw a miracle of Jesus, and they said. Ugh. It's by the power of Beelzebub that he casts out demons. And it was just so egregiously rude to what had actually happened. Jesus talks to them about uh, this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit where to see what was happening and yet deny its power would be blaspheming. How could we blaspheme the word? By reading and studying and knowing what the word says and yet rudely casting it aside. It's powerful, isn't it? To think that we could actually blaspheme the name of God, the word of God, and the doctrine of God. Let's go to the next book, 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. It's on page 1823 in the Pew Bible. All scripture... Is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, for instruction and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the scriptures are good for doctrine, they're good for teaching. And based on the doctrine and the reproof and the correction and the instruction and righteousness, we're built up until we're ready for every good work. I'm sure my kids are tired of hearing this example, but since it's fresh to you all, I can use it, and they can sit through a rerun. Uh, They all played Little League ball, um, softball, baseball, and they had a, you know, experience where they got to try all the different positions, from outfield to infield to pitcher to catcher, and in Little League ball, that catcher's gear, it's a one-size-fit-all type of catcher's gear. So you've got the the little breastplate thing and the the knee pads and the the leg guards, right, and the helmet. And it's for all kids, big and small, right? And so, for our kids, who tended to be a little bit smaller than maybe some of the big boys whenever they put it on, it was, I mean, they were walking out there uh, like a knight, ready for battle, who was in armor, five sizes too big. So they'd shuffle out, and then they'd, they'd get behind the plate and they'd squat down, And sometimes uh, it would be coach pitch. Sometimes it was kid pitch, right? But anyway, that baseball is coming. And, you know, the coaches, sometimes we would try to lob it in there so that they could get a good hit. But then there's also those coaches that their mindset was, I'm going to get you ready for kid pitch. so I'm going to bring the heat. And they'd throw it right down the middle at them. And these little kids, whether they were ours or whether they were others on the team, sometimes were more interested in the butterfly that was going by than the baseball that was coming down. But you know what? They were equipped. And there was nothing more joyful to this coach's heart than to throw a ball right at the catcher and thwink hit some right between the eyes. But they had equipment. And it never hurt them. It hit them in the the gut. It hit them in the head. It hit them in the mitt. Sometimes when it did that, we'd all cheer. They actually caught one. Yay, right? It was great because they were equipped. We would never send a kid behind home plate without the equipment. We would never send a Christian out into the fight. We shouldn't without being thoroughly equipped for every good work. How do we equip each other? Well, publicly and privately, one of the ways that we equip is through doctrine, by knowing the doctrine. What is the doctrine? I'm not going to answer it quite yet. We're getting there. We're getting close. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, please. You can flip to the very next page, 1824 in the Pew Bible. It says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching or doctrine. For a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you... Be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Does this not sound like our culture today? Where on one hand, we're called to endure and to have sound doctrine, but around us it feels like there are those that are just throwing doctrine away and are going after whatever they want. There's nothing new under the sun. 2,000 years ago, they had the same problem that we do today. Let's look at Titus real quick. Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Hey, it's the same opening, at least in the Pew Bible. And this is talking to our shepherds, to elders specifically. And I don't know, that's the great thing about coming into a place is that you can be ignorant about a church's leadership. And so you can just say things, right? And then in five days, you say, All right, I'm out of here. <laughs> So whether you have elders, and I'll I'll know that one pretty quick, whether you're working towards elders or whether they're not on the radar, my exhortation to this church is that it always be a goal. You always have a goal towards elders. Elders, according to verse 9, Titus 1 verse 9, they hold fast to the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. We just installed elders a year and a half ago at Valley Parkway. And, and this, the church that I've worked with has been in existence since 2008. And a church always needs shepherding. So whether people have been ordained to an office or not, churches always need shepherds. The type of person who has that attitude to guide and mold and, and help younger people and people of their own age. So I hope that there are those who feel talented and qualified to to shepherd, whether one is ordained as an elder or not. But I will say in the past year and a half, uh, it has been so nice for whenever somebody comes to the preacher with a pastoral problem, right? So a lot of times preachers get the pastoral problems and we have to juggle the the evangelist part of our job and the pastoral part that we really shouldn't be doing. It's been really nice for me to say, Go talk to the elders. Take it to the elders. And let them, because, as the scripture says, with sound doctrine they exhort and convict those who contradict. God's plan is to have people in place with doctrine to help others find the way. Titus chapter 2, verses 1, 7, and 10 is a beautiful set of scriptures that help us show that doctrine is something that should be adorned Look at it, please. Uh, Titus 2, verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Verse 7. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. Verse 10. Not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. You know what adorning I think of anyway? Decorating, now I am not a decorator, so I enjoy the decorations, but if you were to ask me to decorate, you would probably not enjoy what I put up. However, what does that mean to adorn the doctrine of Christ to where it's decorated in such a way where one goes, wow, isn't it great to serve God? Isn't it great to obey God? When we adorn the doctrine, as this scripture will teach if you were to read through this chapter, it teaches us how to adorn doctrine. Doctrine is to be adorned and decorated in such a way. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. We've got two more in this Bible chain and then we'll draw it to a close. Hebrews 6, verse 1. It's page 1837 in the Pew Bible. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. What's this scripture teaching? That the basics, you know, resurrection, baptism, we're supposed to let go of those and move on to to greater things? Well, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that you're supposed to grow. And part of indoctrinating is that Christians are too mature. But no, in the sense that we would throw them out. May we never throw out doctrine. But the idea here is that you are expected to mature. And whether you've been in the faith for a year or 10 years or 40 years or 60 years, however long you've been in a Christian You can't be a baby forever. One of the most strange pictures that I've ever seen was a 50-year-old man with a pacifier in his mouth. I shudder thinking about it, right? And maybe you do too. Why do we shudder when we think of a 50-year-old man with a pacifier in his mouth? Because that thing belongs to a baby. Now you see a baby with a pacifier and you think, oh, that's cute, right? Because it's normal. It is abnormal. For a 50-year-old to have that pacifier. And so it should be with this. That's the message of Hebrews 6. There are babes in Christ who need plain teaching. And you know, frankly, whenever... I've been baptized now for uh, 26 years. So at year 1, at year 10, at year 20, at year 26, at year 40, 60, Lord willing, however long it goes, I hope I always hear plain teaching on baptism. Plain teaching... I don't want to just cast these out. Please don't take that with you. But the challenge for all of us is we're not called to stay immature. We're called to grow in the doctrines of Christ. We're called to grow. Finally, 2 John chapter 1 verses 9 and 10. 2 John chapter 1 verses 9 and 10. Please, this is the last one in the Bible chain. Page 1870. 1 John chapter 1, excuse me, 2 John. I don't know if I said that the whole time. 2 John chapter 1, verses 9. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine Do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Ooh, this is tough. That's tough. But back then, there was an issue going on where false doctrine was uh, to a point where this apostle is trying to nip some of it in the bud. And so it can be today. We must remain in the doctrine to have a relationship with Jesus. So, before we get to the final thought on doctrine... I guess I'd like to answer the question, what is the doctrine? What is the doctrine? Well, if it's teaching and if it's instruction, then it's the words that Jesus taught all the way through what John the Revelator taught. And any instruction that's in there for what we do when we come together for worship, you know, doctrine about how we commune, how we sing, how we pray. Doctrine about the way we live the way we dress, the way we speak, the way we treat each other, it's all doctrine. It's all doctrine. Now, this matters a lot to me because I've had times, and I may speak on this, I may speak on doubt uh, later in the meeting, but I have had times in my life where I have wanted to walk away from the church of Christ. And, you know, it's I don't feel good saying that. I'm not happy about saying that. There are times when I felt like, I don't know if I can be around these people or this group, right? You know what always brought me at least back from the edge? Doctrine. I couldn't get over baptism. I couldn't get over communion. It was these things in here where if I'd been treated wrong by someone and their hypocrisy really kind of chipped away at what I thought the church was supposed to be. But then I'd open up the scriptures and I'd look at the doctrine and I'd say, man, but it says it right there. And so now suddenly I'm on this balance of this person's treated me this way. The doctrine says this. Which one's going to have a stronger sway in my life? So friends, if anyone, of you've ever had a similar experience or sometimes it's you start to wonder if the church is all it's cracked up to be based on relationships then I would challenge you to take solace in the doctrine because it's through doctrine this steady consistent life-giving teaching this is where hope comes from because remember without doctrine there is no hope there is no grace there is no mercy Because we learn about those things from the doctrine. Now, in conclusion, uh, here's my final plea about how important doctrine is. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 66 to 69. Jesus was very popular at this time in his ministry, but he started teaching a harder doctrine. And as a result of him saying things like, uh, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you'll have no part of me the majority of his followers says, Oh, this is hard. Who can follow this? And they walk away from him. And so the few that remain, Jesus turns and says, will you go away as well? Now I'm giving you the Jonathan Edwards translation. But Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. He looked at the doctrines that Jesus had, the teachings. And he says, there's no one else. There's no one else. So if everybody else leaves, I'm sticking with you, Jesus, because your doctrine leads to eternal life. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. I'll have to look at this one. 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to read to you verse 3. Now, by this we know that we know him. Do you want to know? I and mean, this is an easy one. Do you want to know whether or not you know him? So this is more than just acknowledging him. Yes, I believe in Jesus, but to know him. By this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, "I know him," and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God has perfected him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. So if you want to know Christ, then you gotta know his doctrine. Finally, Luke chapter 17, verse 10. Let's go ahead and turn over there. I was curious if I was gonna give you the Jonathan version or not. So my assumption about a group of people that are going to get together on a Wednesday night is that you all love the Lord and maybe love His doctrine as well. I'm pretty sure that's an accurate statement, right? It's, we're here because we want to be here. And so I it would be like uh, sometimes teaching things like this would be the equivalent of teaching on church attendance. You know, like you're here. Why would I teach on church attendance? You want to be here. So that, that can be a challenge. You may have friends and loved ones who aren't here and you may be the sermon in their life about doctrine. So here's what I want to encourage you with as we prepare for this last verse. I think it's, easy sometimes for those of us in the church of Christ because it's assumed that we love Jesus. It's assumed that our whole life is just forever changed by his grace. That we were one way and then we were broken and then we've come back and he's been the one that's mended us. These things are kind of assumed. And so we have to spend a lot of time talking about the doctrine because all around us are groups that spend only, or all of their time only talking about grace and mercy and love and no time about the doctrine. And so we understand if we don't talk about this other stuff, then nobody's ever going to hear it. What I'm concerned about from time to time is if people only hear doctrine from us and they never hear how much we love Jesus which I know we do if they never hear how much we love Jesus how much we need his grace and I don't care if you are a first or second or third or fourth or fifth generation Christian whatever you want to call yourself however many generations you've had in the church the fact is you sinned you don't deserve to go to heaven and Jesus died for you and mommy and daddy, granny and grandpa, great granny who got you started in the church four generations ago, these people, you can't ride their coattails into heaven. It's by grace through faith, obedient faith, that all of us are saved. And so as we go to our friends and our neighbors and our family and we, 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 we try to indoctrinate them and especially we try to, with this idea of doctrine, we're trying to tell them how good it is to obey God. May we never forget that we obey from a sense of amazing and overwhelming awe that Jesus would die for us and that we're not going to lump all of our good deeds onto a scale hoping to get out of, let's say, 100. We're going to get... 51 good and 49 bad, so that we have just enough to then say, You'd better let me in because I did more good than bad. May it never be. May it never be. And so, here in this final scripture is the attitude that I encourage you to have when it comes to doctrine. And it's a parable about some servants. And I want you to listen to what Jesus says about these servants. In Luke chapter 17, verse 7. And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he comes in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat? Now, many of us are far removed from that lifestyle. One time when my parents lived in Malawi, I went to visit them, and that is a place where people have servants. We went to eat at uh, a friend's house, um, and this man was a merchant, he was from India, and so he, he was living in Blantyre, and was had a hardware store, it was very well off, and so he wanted to serve us this lavish dinner, and I've never been more uncomfortable in my life to sit at my own spot while servants came and put food on my plate. I, I just wanted to crawl under my chair and die. Because that's not our custom, right? So we have to put ourselves in this culture where servants were a part of their life. And so when Jesus asked that question, how many of you would tell your servant, here, come in here and eat after he's already been out working in the field all day? So for us, we might not know the answer, but the obvious answer is no, we would never do that. You would never invite your servant to eat after they've been working outside all day. Verse 8. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. And here's the moral. Here's the, the I guess, the application. I want you to take what he's about to say in verse 10 and apply it to our study Jesus says, verse 10, So likewise you, when you've done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. And that's our attitude behind the doctrine. We don't get to judge others and look down at them. Look how much doctrine I have. Look how little doctrine you have. God loves me more. We're not going to do that. But rather, we're going to be unprofitable servants who are doing the will of the Lord. That's my challenge for you tonight. Come back tomorrow and all the other nights, and I'll keep challenging you as best I can from the Scriptures. We don't want to close without offering a gospel invitation. So if there is one who has not obeyed the gospel, then we simply wish to invite you to come and to let it be known that you would like to become a Christian, come hearing and believing repenting of your sins, confessing that Jesus is the son of God and be baptized for the remission of sins, calling on his name. Brothers or sisters, if anyone needs the prayers of the church, this is a time for you as well. Please come as we stand and sing a song. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail,